one of our popular original shows called Orange is the New Black. We had, I think, 10 or 11 episodes of, of a new season be leaked. Hi, and welcome to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life B-Sides. I'm Ren Lepp. Two thousand and eleven was a pivotal year for Netflix. The now hugely successful company was then in the midst of a formidable transformation, changing from a mail-based DVD rental service to the modern streaming service that it is today. Anyone who ran or even worked for a big company and Netflix was already a huge business back then can appreciate how difficult it is to rewrite an organization's DNA. But Netflix's challenge was even more arduous, because back in the early 2010s, cloud technology was really just picking up steam, and there were still many open questions looking for answers, like how to do cloud security right. It was at this crucial junction in the company's history that Jason Chan, our guest in this episode, was hired by Netflix to lay the foundations for its cloud security protocols. Nate Nelson, our senior producer, spoke with Jason about the decade he spent at the company, what he learned during his tenure there, and the ideas that took shape at that time, such as chaos engineering. Chaos engineering, such a great name. You know, it could be a great title for a TV series about a media company in the midst of a technological transformation. I don't know, just a thought. As befitting the holiday spirit, Nate's interview with Jason took place as part of a charity event called Cybersecurity Crisis, which raised $26,000 for action against hunger. Enjoy the interview. Why did Netflix get into the cloud as early as they did? Yeah, Netflix was definitely an early mover, I would say around 2008, 2009. And at least the way the story goes, you know, Netflix started as a, as a DVD by mail company. And as it was starting to move into streaming, there was a pretty big database outage in 2008. It was an Oracle database outage in the data center that lasted for a couple of days. And it actually prevented DVDs from being shipped for a few days. And You know, that was right at the time building for streaming was really starting to peak. And uh, Reed Hastings, the Netflix co-founder and CEO, uh, really kind of looked at that event as a sort of signal of what needed to change. And a lot of it was around, you know, not trying to focus on um, basically things that, that we felt other folks could do better. So if you think about networking and data centers and kind of physical security and, you know, managing servers. So we really wanted to be able to essentially outsource all of that so that we could focus our limited engineering resources on what was going to build the streaming service and ultimately differentiate us. Right. And then you joined on, I believe, a couple of years later. Uh, was anybody else working in the security side of cloud at Netflix at the time you arrived? 
Yeah, I started in early 2011. And at that time, there were a couple of folks working security in the IT side, but they hadn't really gotten started on the cloud side. And that was really what I was hired to, to start thinking about was security in the public cloud, specifically Amazon Web Services. And cloud security was hardly a defined thing back then. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, probably the words like cloud engineer, cloud security were not probably not not quite a thing, or at least certainly not to the extent they are now. And presumably, since it was a new thing, you weren't like an off the shelf cloud engineer. So how did you learn an entirely new paradigm before there was any rule book to follow? For me, honestly, it was a lot of just reading documentation and testing things out. Um, and just to sort of learn, you know, the, the sort of basics of how the cloud worked. But then I would say more specifically, like, what are the characteristics of the cloud that are so attractive to companies and that make it such a um, desirable platform and sort of ecosystem to use? And that was probably more important because that led to, you know, thinking about, well, how can you sort of take this new approach to technology and computing and adjust your security approach so that you still gain the benefits that people are looking for without slowing things down. The same year that you joined Netflix, one of your colleagues invented chaos engineering, uh, the thing that Netflix is maybe now best known for in the tech community. I want to talk about how that overlaps with your security work. So before we get into it, can you tell the listeners what this term means? Chaos engineering um, is really about how can we use uh, more practical, modern, real-world approaches to 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 achieve reliability and security. And um, Greg, who who is that that colleague that really came up with this this idea, um, you know, came up with this thing called Chaos Monkey. And the idea was, what would happen if you took a a like a monkey and just kind of put them, let them loose in your data center, and they were just you know, pulling out cables and turning off switches, like how would your infrastructure or your application react? Like, would it be, would it be resilient to that kind of interruption? You know, in the cloud, there are certain things you can control. And then, then there's a, you know, a whole bunch of infrastructure underlying that, that you can't control. So, you know, there's things like hard drives failing all the time and networks that are having problems in latency and, you know, all kinds of issues. So the idea is that chaos engineering allows you to sort of have have some of these kind of real world model some of these kind of real world interruptions to see how your system will react. And then there was more that fell under the the sort of chaos umbrella. You know, in addition to things like Chaos Monkey, we had really a whole suite of tools that helped us um, you know, test the system in this way. So on, on the security side, we had things like Security Monkey and Exploit Monkey, and we also had like Chaos Gorilla and Conformity Monkey, really all these kinds of tools that that were, again, you know, the the objectives never really change. It's just that the way of going about it is is what really was uh, more revolutionary. Now, can you get more specific, like uh, a particular tool that you guys used in the Chaos Universe and how it made you more cybersecure? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I can talk about Security Monkey. And, you know, Security Monkey was really sort of the industry's first cloud security posture management tool. So, you know, CSPM is is a really kind of standard part of the security portfolio now for folks in the cloud. But, you know, 2011, 2012, you know, we didn't really have that. So the idea with CSPM, or, you know, sometimes I'll call it like eventually secure, is the idea is that 
you know, changes are made to your cloud environment and Security Monkey continuously observes those changes, compares them against previous configurations, and then also alerts when there's something, you know, out of line that you would want to have changed. I see. So most of what you're detecting is from the Netflix development side of things. Like this tool isn't for like outside information coming into Netflix. Yeah, exactly. It's more of like, hey, let's monitor your cloud environment and make sure that it's um, aligned or, or sort of conforming with the guidelines that you set forth. And if not, we'll raise an alert and say, hey, this this thing needs to be fixed or, you know, this thing needs to have its permissions changed, that kind of thing. So as you go on from working with these early stage tools on your own or in a small group to becoming a director and then a VP, at the company. Can you take me through your process of building out an operation to make Netflix cloud security more institutional? Yeah, I mean, that, that was definitely, you know, a mindset change as we went from those early days where we were re- really kind of, you know, to be frank, kind of figuring things out as we went. As you're beginning, especially in an environment where there's a lot of unsolved problems and, you know, there wasn't really a commercial space for cloud security tools, you, you kind of had to have folks that were had pretty broad kind of general skill sets around engineering. We really looked to hire software engineers into the security team uh, from the very beginning, you know, in sort of 2011, 2012, which, which again, I think now is a bit more of a standard practice, but it was a little bit more novel back then. And presumably you weren't having to convert people to the cloud the whole time you were there, right? Like after a certain point, this does become a more defined thing. You know, as the company grew and became more successful and the security team grew, then, you know, you, you start thinking about hiring specialists in each of the subdomains. But, but I think, you know, cloud security wise, we've always sort of approached that, you know, frankly, as like kind of mostly an engineering problem rather than, than purely a security problem. It's not so much a specific question, but it is an interesting idea that that you tackle it more as an engineering than a security problem. Um, is there any way that it, it, could you like expand on that philosophy more broadly so that people out there? Because I mean, we we're a security podcast, and I haven't heard that line before. You know, when I was at Netflix, I was always in the engineering organization, right? So we weren't in like this separate organization, and you know me and and my teams, we were always running, you know, critical systems, you know, that that serve the entire, um, the product. So whether it was like key management or cryptography, or, you know, anti DDoS, like we built those systems and ran those systems. So we were, you know, just part of the engineering organization, we just happened to be responsible for security. So if you guys in the security department are operating like engineers, does it then work the other way as well that, um, the, the engineers, the software developers at Netflix are working in a security mindset. You know, it was a bit of a philosophy where, you know, some some engineering teams, they kind of take this approach where they want everyone to think security first. And, you know, that's a totally reasonable approach. Um, but Netflix was was quite different. We, we really wanted engineers to focus on what they were hired to do. Right. So like if you're a really great algorithms engineer or UI or device or network, like that's what we wanted you spending your time on and like let the security team think and worry about security. And of course, it's not that you are never involved in security. It's just that we don't want you to think you need to become an expert in security to run a secure system. (laughs) 
the best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. Cyber Reason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation-centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The Cyber Reason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. Visit cyberreason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations. So a lot of your job was relating engineers with security. You know, largely what we were trying to do um, as we were sort of, you know, building and operating those early days was um, really think about, like, historically how engineers and security teams have worked. And, you know, I would say historically, at least, you know, throughout the industry, that's been a pretty contentious relationship, right? Because you sort of had engineers who tend to focus on velocity and getting product features out and security teams who are worried about you know, managing risk and kind of stopping bad things from happening. So we had to sort of change that philosophy and, and like let the security engineers and the software engineers on the security team think, hey, you know, what are the sharp edges and, and the kind of difficult spots that we want, we want to handle in kind of a competent and specialized way so that um, our, the rest of our engineers can just tap into those and sort of use them just as any other tools they might use without developing deep, deep expertise. Okay. So you're starting to build up this team, this operation at Netflix. In your decade-long tenure there, uh, were there any significant security breaches? I'll knock on wood here. I would say, thankfully, the the biggest issue that we had was um, kind of a a fourth-party vendor issue when we had uh, one of our popular original shows called Orange is the New Black. We had, I think, 10 or 11 episodes of, of a new season be leaked uh i think it was a few weeks ahead of release and and it was basically a a sound vendor for the studio that was producing that show was compromised and basically uh, was ransomed for that um so that yeah that was a uh, you know an inter- interesting issue um you know thankfully it didn't involve any customer data personal data things like that and it was just a show what kind of damage would a leak have caused you guys we didn't want them to be leaked because when you have a show, I mean, and it's not necessarily that, um, you know, f- there would be tons of folks seeking out the files on, on piracy sites. It's just that, you know, you have marketing campaigns and all kinds of release activities associated with a new season release. And you really don't want spoilers for that. I see. And is it publicly available how that story ended up? Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely been a few articles about it. Um, you know, we didn't end up paying ransom. We didn't end up changing the release schedule. Um, we did some analysis on the back end just to kind of get a sense for, you know, how how much did this affect viewership? And, you know, our, without getting into super specifics, you know, we generally found that it didn't really impact it much, you know, as we had expected. There weren't, um, you know, I would say, you know, one of the philosophies or, or kind of design goals of Netflix generally is, you know, if you offer a great experience and great content for a reasonable price, you know, like people are willing to pay for that. And they're, they're not, 
you know, that's kind of the, that's the sort of appropriate alternative to, to piracy is just have a, have a great service for a reasonable price. And that's where people will go to find your content. And that's generally what we found uh, through that. Generation. In an episode that must have released now a couple of months ago, I spoke with a couple of former uh, InfoSec people at CBS and Paramount, and they were talking about the uh, supply chain issue that media companies face, which is sort of, I guess it makes sense, but it's not really how I generally think about supply chain. Um, would you say that that was a significant thing for Netflix, or was it just that in this particular case it happened to bite you, but in general you were worried about other things? Oh no, yeah, that they, I would say that's probably correct. You know what they were mentioning the su- the supply chain in content production is really, really uh, extensive and complex. Uh, and and if if you think about content production at the Netflix scale, which is you know maybe a thousand productions a year, and you know with a production being a TV show, a movie, documentary, stand up, you know, animation, things like that, and. Each one of those productions is kind of like its own small business that only exists for like the duration of the production. So maybe six months, right? But they've got office space and they've got printers and Wi-Fi networks and computers. So you're trying to like concurrently run these thousand, you know, small businesses and and they all um, exert quite a lot of uh, localized control, right? So if you think about, you know, directors and creatives, they have their own approaches and they have the tools they want to use and the timelines they want to use and you know, we as a central team, as a central security team, you know, we weren't sort of dictating how those things worked. We were just trying to make sure that they all sort of ran um, and sort of running it at a level of risk that we were comfortable with. But, you know, when you're doing that many productions, it's it's kind of like a denominator problem. Like it's a big number problem, right? It's you're going to have issues happen when there's that much going on. It's just that then that risk or consequence sort of gets amortized over that really that really large base. So you know, what you end up seeing is you'll see issues happen more frequently, but they have, um, you know, basically lesser impact because it's spread over over such a big uh, portfolio. Okay. So in the decade that you were at Netflix, uh, the company, Netflix, changed a lot, obviously, as had InfoSec. Um, In what big and meaningful ways did your work transform from 2011 to when you left in 2021? For me, it's like the job was constantly changing. You know, we started as a uh, you know DVD by mail, went to streaming. You know, started as a U.S. company, went global, uh, and then probably the biggest change was was going from a company that was distributing content created by other studios to creating our own studio. So there was always something happening and something that we needed to um, be able to respond to and to kind of keep the business going. Compared to when you started at the beginning of this interview in, in 2011, what did Netflix InfoSec look like when you left? So how many people had your old job? Yeah, so, so it was about 150 folks in the org when I left. And, you know, there was, you know, kind of, it almost felt like every year or so there was something new being added to um, the scope. You know, so when I started, I was really focusing on cloud security, but then, you know, we sort of added bit by bit, you know, built out a product security function. And then, you know, the corporate security team merged into my team and, you know, we started working on things like fraud um, and then studio security, game security. So it it really just like the scope got, got much, much bigger. Um, So then, you know, it, it sort of necessitated that the team got much larger. 
To wrap up then, it's been a while since you were a one-man security engineering team at Netflix. After a whole decade, what is it that you took away from that place that listeners might take away from this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, philosophically was, was just trying to figure out how can you build a security team and a function that is aligned with the culture of the organization that you're protecting, right? So don't think of it as a black and white problem, like you're just going to lock everything down, but, but really think about what the organization, the business is trying to do and what kind of culture the business wants to operate under, because that's really where you take your cues from. And that's really uh, what should drive your own your own de- personal development as well, as well as your team's development. Oh my God. Oh my God. CK Music. 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 Music.